Amen. All right. We're there in Leviticus chapter number one. And tonight we begin a brand new series in the book of Leviticus. And uh, you are here at the very start. Leviticus has 27 chapters in it, and we are going to take one chapter a week. So we're going to be in the book of Leviticus for the next 27 weeks. And I want to encourage you to be here the next 27 Wednesdays and study and learn the book of Leviticus with us. There's much to learn. I would encourage you to take notes. And uh, let's go ahead and just uh, jump right in. I-, I need to make some introductory statements, but I want you to just look at verse uh, 1 real quickly. And I just really want you to look at the first word in verse 1. The book begins with this word, and. And. Notice it says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying. Now, keep your place there in Leviticus. We're going to come right back to it. But I need you to go to the book of Hebrews because I just want to make some, like I said, preliminary statements. Go to Hebrews chapter number 7. If you start at the end of the New Testament and you move backwards, you'll, you'll go from Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews, Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 3rd, uh, 2nd, 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. And uh, I wanted to point out that word and as a very first word in Leviticus 1.1. And the reason for it is because I need you to understand that the book of Leviticus is a continuation of the book of Exodus. That word and connects this book with the previous book. And I want you to understand that basically Leviticus starts where Exodus Left off. If you're familiar with the book of Exodus, and I preached through the book of Exodus years ago, but if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, at the end of the book of Exodus, the children of Israel are basically camped at the base of Mount Sinai, and they just got done building the tabernacle. The last part of the book of Exodus is all about God giving instructions to the children of Israel on how to build the tabernacle, and then at the end, they go through and they build the tabernacle. That's what the book's about. Well, Leviticus 1.1, and... Now that the tabernacle is built, God is going to begin to give instructions to the children of Israel about the work that needs to be done in the tabernacle, the, the work of the Levites and the priests and all those things. So you need to understand that it's called Leviticus because it's primarily about the Levitical priesthood, which was the priesthood of the Old Testament uh, and, and, and all of that. Now, here's what you need to understand. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 7? Now do me a favor, when you get to Hebrews, put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something in Hebrews because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to Hebrews throughout the entire sermon. We're going to keep coming back several times. So make sure you can get to Hebrews so we can do it quickly. But here's what I want you to understand. The Levitical priesthood does not apply to us today as New Testament believers. And in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 5, the Bible says this, And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, because I want you to understand, it was the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood, and I don't want to get too far into this because I've got a lot to cover tonight, but basically the, whoever was a descendant of Levi was, uh, was in that idea, in, in that tribe of, of the priests, but the, but the actual priests themselves were the sons of Aaron. Now, Aaron was a Levite, but the sons of Aaron were the specific priests. The, the rest of the tribe, they were like uh, support staff. They were there to help them. So the Levites would carry the tabernacle, would, would assist the priests in the work that they did. And here, I just want you to notice in verse 5 that the context is about the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood. Look down at verse number 11, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 11. The Bible says this, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, 
What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the uh, order of Aaron? Here's what he's saying. If, if the Levitical priesthood was perfect, then why would there rise another priesthood of the order of Melchizedek? Now, I'm not preaching on Melchizedek tonight, and I preached sermons on that even recently. Melchizedek is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the Lord Jesus Christ basically rose, because the Bible calls Jesus the high priest. But the problem with Jesus being a high priest is that he was not born of the tribe of Levi. Christ was of the tribe of Judah. So we're told here that the way that works is that he's from the order of Melchizedek. And when the Bible says that you and I are priests, because the Bible teaches, we talked about it in our Baptist Distinctives uh, sermon, right? We believe in the priesthood of the believer. The fact that I don't need to go to a priest to, to mediate between me and God. I'm a priest. The Bible says that God has made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm a priest, and I'm able to approach the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He can mediate between me and God. I don't need a priest, but I want you to understand, we're not Levitical priests. You and I tonight are priests of the order of Melchizedek, our high priest, the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And that might be more than you need, but I just want you to understand that. The Levitical priesthood was changed, and people will often mock. And they'll say, you know, and they'll take extremes and they'll say, well, you, you got to throw away the whole Old Testament, right? Because we don't follow the whole. But listen to me. No, we only change. We only, uh, uh, we, we only don't apply to ourselves the specific things that God told us no longer apply. Everything else still applies. Unless God specifically repealed it, it's still for us today. But here we're told, here's one of those examples where we're told that the Levitical priesthood was repealed. Look at verse 11. If their perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So notice, the priests of Melchizedek are not called after the order of Aaron. Look at verse 12. For the priesthood, you got to underline this in your Bible, for the priesthood being changed. See, you say, why, why don't you follow the Levitical law? Because the priesthood was changed. In the New Testament, we don't have to follow it. It no longer applies to us in the sense that the things that we're going to learn about tonight, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go out and kill a bull or kill a lamb or do any of the things in the book of Leviticus. Notice verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. See, we don't throw away the law. But when God says, I change the priesthood, then you know what? He changed the priesthood. And God's God. He can do whatever He wants. He, he, he makes the rules. And He said, the Levitical priesthood no longer applies, so the Levitical priesthood no longer applies today. Keep your place in Hebrews. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Leviticus chapter 1. You say, okay, Pastor Jimenez, then why are we going to spend the next 27 weeks studying the book of Leviticus if it doesn't apply to us anymore? And here's what I want you to understand. The book of Leviticus, in a practical sense, no longer applies to us today because there are no Levitical priests. You and I are not a Levitical priest, and we do not follow the Levitical priesthood. However, I want you to notice how the book begins. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what it says. And, now we know that connects it to the book of Exodus, but I want you to notice what it says next. The Lord called unto Moses, notice these words, and spake. Do you see that? The Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice this word, saying. Do you see that? Now here's what I want you to notice. Who is it that is speaking to Moses according to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1? It's the Lord. 
And here's what I want you to say. As we read the book of Leviticus, people often say, ah, oh, the book of Leviticus is so boring. You know, I like Genesis and I like Exodus, but I get into Leviticus and it's just kind of. But listen, when you're reading the book of Leviticus, the entire Bible is God's word. We understand that. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But some of the books, some of the books, like the book of Nehemiah, for example, it is God speaking through Nehemiah to give us his word. Leviticus, it's God speaking to Moses. These are literally, I mean, you can't get any closer to these are the words of God that God spake and God gave. Basically, God tells Moses, come over here. Let me explain something to you. And it begins with God speaking. You say, why does that matter? Keep your place in Leviticus. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter number four, Matthew chapter four. And like I said, I'm just kind of laying a foundation here, but I want you to understand what's going on in this book. And we're going to spend 27 weeks studying every chapter. And we're going to get right into chapter one here in a second. But I want you to understand what's going on. Matthew chapter four and verse four should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter four, verse number four. Notice what the Bible says. But he answered and said, now this is Jesus. He's being tempted by the devil. And I want you to notice how, how he responds. He says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by, notice these words, every word. Do you see that? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now look, that includes the book of Leviticus. Because the Bible tells us that the Lord called unto Moses and spake. That the Lord was saying it was God who actually physically, literally spoke the words that we know as the book of Leviticus. And then Jesus tells us in the New Testament, hey, every man, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So here's what I want you to understand. Just because it no longer applies in the sense that there is no Levitical priesthood, we're not going to learn about the, uh, the burnt sacrifice tonight and then go home and do it. But there are still principles. There are still doctrines. There are still things that we we can learn from the book of Leviticus. Go back to Leviticus. While you go there, let me read for you out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says this. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible says all scripture is profitable for doctrine. All scriptures is profitable. It, 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 it's, we can learn from all of it. So here's what I'm saying. Leviticus, in the sense of the order of the Levitical priests and the things we're going to be learning, does not apply to us in the sense that we need to go and do it. But we can still learn from it. We can still study it. It's still the words that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And we can still learn doctrine from it. We can still learn principles from it. We can still learn a lot. And, and by the way, not everything in Leviticus was repealed. Only the things that, uh, that are specific to the Levitical priesthood, because there's a lot that's covered in the book of Leviticus. So let's just jump right in. And let me say this. The book of Leviticus is, is cut into basically two major portions. And those two major portions, you can cut down into other portions, and maybe I'll go and do that at another time. But I don't have time to do that tonight, because I've got a lot to cover. But I want you to understand this. The first part, the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus all have to do with the offerings that the priests were supposed to offer. After that, it gets into the priesthood, it gets into some stories, it gets into some laws and different things. But the first seven chapters, so the first seven weeks we're going to spend in Leviticus, we're going to learn about these different offerings 
that were meant to be offered. And look, you've read through Leviticus before, and you've read through Deuteronomy, and you've read through other books of the Bible, and you've seen them do all sorts of offerings that you might have just had no idea what they were doing. And, and we're going to learn that together over the next 27 weeks on Wednesday night. So I want to encourage you to be with us and uh, go back to, to Leviticus chapter number 1, and let's just jump right in. Notice verse number 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offerings of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd. Now I want you to notice, that's the first sacrifice, and it's the one that's dealt with here in chapter 1. It's a burnt sacrifice. If you look at verse 3, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Now, so just so you understand, and maybe if you want to take notes in your Bible, at the top of chapter 1, you can just write down this phrase, burnt sacrifice. That's the first sacrifice that's talked about here in the book of Leviticus, and it's the one that chapter 1 deals with. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Every sacrifice in Leviticus is a picture of Christ. Every single one. And we'll go through and learn and see those correlations between Christ and and, and the sacrifice, but I, I want you to understand, the burnt sacrifice is a picture of Christ. And I want to start off by, by, by giving you those, uh, those correlations. So point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, is this. The burnt offering gives us a picture of Christ's sacrifice. The burnt offering gives us a picture of Christ's sacrifice. And tonight, it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to be like, like, Sunday school or Bible college or whatever you want to call it. This is, we're going to learn. We're going to dig into the Bible and, and learn about it. But the first thing is a burnt sacrifice. So write these statements down. When it comes to the burnt offering being a picture of the sacrifice. Number one, like Christ, the burnt sacrifice was to be a male without blemish. Like Christ, the burnt sacrifice was to be a male without blemish. Look at verse 3 again. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Now, what's a blemish? A blemish is like, is there something wrong with it? And it's, it has to do with the, with the color. It's described as a spot. And, and what it, this is supposed to be, it's supposed to be clean. It's supposed to be uh, perfect. There's supposed, supposed to be nothing wrong with it. No, no blemishes. It's supposed to be a male without blemish. Look down at verse number 10. Same chapter. Because we're given different options of the sacrifice, and we'll talk about that a little later. But the first option is this of the herd. Here in, in verse 10, we're given an option that comes from the flocks. Look at verse 10. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it, notice, a male without blemish. So I want you to notice the first characteristic of the burnt sacrifice is that it's to be a male without blemish. And in the same way, Christ was a sacrifice that was a male without blemish. Did you keep your place there in Hebrews? Go back to Hebrews, go to chapter 9, look at verse number 14. And keep in mind, we're going to be coming back to Hebrews all throughout the sermon tonight, so make sure you can find it quickly. Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, notice, without spot. See that word spot there? That's the same word blemish. 
See, in the same way that the burnt sacrifice was a male without blemish, the Lord Jesus Christ was offered, offered himself without spot to God to uh, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Go to John. Go to the book of John. Keep your place in Hebrews. Go to John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 8. Look at verse 46. John chapter 8, verse 46. The blemish or the spot, it, it, it represents the fact that it, it didn't meet, you know, the, 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 the standard. And the correlation with Christ is not that he didn't have any blemishes on his skin or whatever. The idea is that he was sinless. The, the, the blemish, the spot, represents sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ was without sin. John chapter 8, verse 46. This is Jesus speaking. Notice what he says. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And that word convinceth, he's saying, who, which of you wants to bring an accusation or an allegation against me in regards to sin? He's saying, which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And he sa- he's basically uh, giving a challenge. And he says, I dare any of you, I dare any of you to, to accuse me or bring an allegation or, or, or bring a, a, a something uh, uh, to try to say that I've done something wrong or that I've sinned because Jesus was without sin. You're there in John 8. Go to John 19. John chapter 19. Remember when Jesus was arrested, he was taken before Pilate. John chapter 19 and verse 4. John chapter 19 and verse 4. John 19 and verse 4. The Bible says this, Pilate therefore went forth and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know, notice what Pilate said, that I find no fault in him. He says, I can't find anything that this man has done wrong. He said, I can't find anything that this man has done that's sinful or that's, he says, look, he says, I find no fault in him. And in fact, if you look at the last phrase of verse number six, he says it again. He says, I find no fault in him. You know what he's saying? He's saying he is without blemish. He is without spot. He is the perfect sacrifice of God, a male without blemish. Second Corinthians 5.21, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So the Lord Jesus Christ was without blemish. He was without sin. In the same way that the burnt sacrifice was to be a male without blemish. So we see there the first correlation between Christ and the burnt sacrifice. Go back to Leviticus chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Why don't you notice the second correlation between Christ and the burnt sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. And he shall put his hand... Upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. The word atonement means satisfaction, reparation, or reconciliation. And here's what I want you to understand if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write down this statement. Number two, like Christ, the burnt sacrifice was to be a substitutionary sacrifice. Like Christ, the burnt sacrifice was to serve as a substitute. Not only was he to be a male without blemish, but it was to be a substitute. It was supposed to take the place. It was supposed to make atonement, make a satisfaction. See, the sinner had done wrong. The sinner had sinned. The sinner had to pay. But what he did is he brought this sacrifice, and that sacrifice was the atonement, the satisfaction, the reparation, the reconciliation for that sinner's sin. 
It was a, 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 a substitute for the sinner. And I want you to notice, if you look at verse 4, look at the, verse part, the first part of verse 4, notice what he says. And he shall put his hand upon the head. Do you see that? You'll notice in these sacrifices that often the one who's bringing the sacrifice, they're supposed to put their hand upon the head. And it's interesting because you find this concept throughout Scripture, you know, and we usually see it in a positive light. Usually when someone lays their hands on someone, you know, we'll call that an ordination service, right? Where a pastor or, uh, will lay hands on a young man and, in order to ordain them to the ministry. But here's what you need to understand. That act of laying your hands on someone is basically identifying yourself with that individual. See, guys don't just get to go start churches. If they do, they're doing it unscriptural. You don't just get to decide, I'm a pastor one day. No, someone has to identify with you and say, I've seen their character. I've seen their uh, integrity. I've, seen, I've watched them. Their spirit is right. Their walk is right. They meet the qualifications. And I am going to identify myself with this person and acknowledge that he is worthy of sending. But here's what's interesting. Because in 1 Timothy, we're given a very uh, a, a special verse that gives us caution against laying your hands on the wrong individual. The Bible says this, lay hands suddenly on no man. Lay hands suddenly on no man. That's why you don't just get to show up at Verity Baptist Church for three months and expect an ordination. You have to be here for years. We, we, we want to see you. We want to see your life. We want to see your marriage. We want to see your children. The Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. Here's why. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. See, if you put your hand on someone and they're not the proper their sin there, it identifies you with their sin. And here, with the atonement process, the sinner laid his hands on the animal that's a male that's without blemish, that is innocent, that has done nothing wrong. And the sinner is identifying himself with that sacrifice in the same way that Christ and us are identified together on the cross. That's why the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, usually a laying on a hand is a good thing. It's like, I'm a good guy. I'm the pastor. I've showed that I'm, you know, meet the qualifications and I've pastored the church and I'm speaking on behalf of this young man and saying that he's good. But in the atonement process, it's different. The sinner is basically putting his hands, you know. The bull says, don't lay your hands on me, you know. Lay hands suddenly on no man, you know. Neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. So the idea is that like Christ, the burnt sacrifice was to be a substitute for sin. It was supposed to make an atonement. It was supposed to be the reparation. Go to Romans chapter number 3. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 3. And look at verse number 24. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. That's why I always think it's funny when guys that want to go into ministry get all upset with me. I'm like, you realize I'm the one that's supposed to lay my hands on you, right? <laughs> you realize that you've wasted your time if you piss me off. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 24. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, look at verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that's the atonement, that's the appeasement, that's the reconciliation 
through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, Christ's sacrifice was an atonement or a propitiation. He took our place. He was a substitute. He took our sins upon Him in the same way that the birth sacrifice is a substitutionary sacrifice for this, uh, this individual, this sinner that's coming to the priest. Go back to Leviticus chapter, three, uh, chapter 1, look at verse 3. Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 3. So I said number 1, you know, in, in, in regards to the uh, burnt sacrifice picturing Christ, number 1, we saw that he was to be a male without blemish. Number 2, we saw that he was supposed to be a substitute, a, 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 an atonement for sin. But number 3, like Christ... The burnt sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. Now, you'll find in the five different offerings that we're going to study over the next seven weeks that four of them are blood sacrifices, one of them is not. And that's, that's the, the meal offering. But this sacrifice required blood. And what we mean by that is that it required death. Okay? The Bible says this, The wages of sin is death. And in order to pay for someone's sins, someone had to die. In order to pay for sins, blood had to be shed. Notice in Leviticus chapter 1. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice what's interesting about the death of this animal in the burnt sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 3. If his, I want you to notice that word his, all right? If you don't mind writing your Bible, you underline or circle that word his. All right, notice what it says. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd. So who's the his there? Is that the priest? No. That's the guy bringing the sacrifice, right? That's the sinner. The one making atonement. Notice what it says. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him, not the priest, but the guy bringing the offering, offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Look at verse 4. And he... Not the priest, we're still talking about the sinner, the guy who brings the sacrifice, and he shall put his hands upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Do you see that? He, him, he, he, him. It's, it's all the same guy. Notice verse 5. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. Usually when we think of these ideas of the sacrifice, we think of the priest taking a knife and killing the animal. But I want you to notice, it's not the priest that does the killing. It's whoever is bringing the sacrifice that does the killing. It is the guy, the sinner, bringing atonement. Notice verse 5. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. Then the work of the priest begins, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. It is the person, not the priest, it is the person that brings the sacrifice that does the killing. And people like to argue and complain and, and, and talk about who killed Jesus. Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? It was both. You know, it was, I mean, it was the Jews. The Bible very clearly in the book of Acts tells us it was the Jews that are blamed for the killing of Christ. Absolutely. And of course, it was the Romans that carried out the actual death. He died on a Roman cross. But you know what the Bible's trying to teach us here? That it's you and it's me who put Christ on the cross. It's the sinner needing atonement that did the killing. Because he died for our sins. So before you start getting all, you know, anti-Jews and the Jews, look, your, your sins put them on the cross as much as anybody else's. 
It is this. It is the one needing atonement. It is the one needing uh, forgiveness. It is the one bringing, and not the priest putting him to death, but it is the one bringing the sacrifice that does the killing, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. Notice, notice uh, verse 5 there. And the priest and Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood. Notice the blood. That's, we, we sing all these songs about the blood, and it, they're great. They're great songs because the blood was shed. For the remission of sins, the blood is required for salvation. And sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Look down at verse number 11. Same, uh, same, same chapter, different, same sacrifice, different animal. But I want you to notice the emphasis. Look at verse 11. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. So it's a blood sacrifice. Death was required. He needed to die. Go back to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 9, 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, that's Jesus, he entered in once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. See, all these sacrifices back in the book of Leviticus, they were just a picture of what Christ would one day do. They sacrificed a goat. They sacrificed a, 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 an animal. And they took the blood into their physical you know, tabernacle that they built at the end of Exodus. But all of that was a picture of what Christ would do, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself, and we already saw it, without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, it's the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin, is what the Bible says. So we see here that the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1. So don't tell me the book of Leviticus is boring and I'm going to skip it. Y'all not skip the book of Leviticus, y'all to read it. It teaches us about Christ. It teaches us about the fact that He was uh, without blemish, without spot, without sin. It teaches us that He was the atonement for our sins, that He was a substitute for our sin. It teaches us that, that His blood had to be shed, that He had to die, and that blood had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the tabernacle in heaven in the same way that the priest did it down here on earth. So the burnt offering gives us a picture of Christ's sacrifice. Well, let's, let's, let's transition to another thought here. Because this is what I'm just saying. You don't have to turn here, but go, go, go back to Leviticus and, uh, and then find 1 Kings. Go back to Leviticus and then find the book of 1 Kings. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. You can find all those one, two books. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles in the Old Testament. They're all clustered together. Go to 1 Kings. Let me, let me transition a little bit while you find that, though. Not only does the burnt offering give us a picture of Christ's sacrifice, the burnt offering also gives us principles of personal sacrifice. The primary application of these sacrifices are that they are a picture, they picture Christ. But there are also principles that you and I can learn from these, uh, from these sacrifices 
And, and let me just make, make the connection for you. you. You find Leviticus and find 1 Kings, all right? But let me read for you John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible. You know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16, all right? Now let me read for you 1 John 3.16. Because remember, John wrote the Gospel of John, which is in the, New, the, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But then John also write, wrote the letters, the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So, let me read for you 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, here's what I want you to understand. The sacrifice of Christ was pictured in the burnt sacrifice. But you know what? We, then, are supposed to follow in His footsteps. We, then, are supposed to be willing to sacrifice ourselves in the same way that Christ sacrificed him. So we can look at the burnt offering and see a picture of Christ, but we can also look at the burnt offering and find principles of personal sacrifice. Is it warm in here? I'm warm. Anybody else warm? We can turn the air on. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Leviticus chapter number 1, go to verse 5. Let me say this while you turn there. Paul said this in Romans 12. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we're supposed to present ourselves as the living sacrifice. So not only do we see a picture of Christ, we also see principles for personal sacrifice in our lives. So let's, let's real quickly, I gave you three pictures of Christ, right? A male without blemish, right? Uh, he was a substitutionary sacrifice. And uh, meaning that he was the atonement for a sacrifice, and it was a blood sacrifice. Now let me give you three principles for personal sacrifice that we can learn from the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1. Look at Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 5. Now here's where, because remember, up to this point, the sinner was the one that brought the offering. He killed, he laid his hand on the head, right? And part of that was probably to hold the head too, you know, in a practical sense. And he's the one that killed the animal. Now the priest begins his work, and he shall kill a bullock, now look, a, a bull, that's a big animal. I, I should have looked it up. I didn't look it up. Who knows how, 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 much, how much does a bull weigh? Who knows? Anybody know? Brother, what is it, brother? 2,500 pounds. All right? That's big. All right? It's a big animal. So, and I want you to get that idea in your head because notice what happens here. Verse 5. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. And the pre- is, that, is that with hormones or no? I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter. Non-GMO. <laughs> and the priest, I don't care. And the priest, I'm just, and the priest, Aaron's sons, right? Because those are the priests. The priest's work here begins, shall bring the blood, and that is, uh, that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice verse 6. And shall flay. And shall flay the burnt offering. What does that mean? He's stripping the skin off. All right? They're, the priests, they're just like grilling all day long. That's what they were doing. You know, but, but you're, you're, you're flaying a 2,500-pound beast. This is a lot of work. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it in pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the part, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. And I want you to notice verse 9. Here's the first characteristic, something unique we see to the burnt offering. Because the other offerings, you will notice the other offerings, they got to share in him. They got to bring it, and the priests literally ate from those offerings. That was their paycheck. 
And look, they should have got part of that cow, right? They should have got part of that bull. If they had to flay the whole thing and cut the whole thing in pieces, they're sitting there grilling it, they get to eat some of it. And, and different offerings, they got, the priest got to partake in it, the people that brought it got to partake in it, but the burnt offering, the burnt offering was different in the sense that it was an entire sacrifice. It was a whole sacrifice. Look at verse 9. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all. You see that? Shall burn all on the altar. By the way, that's where we get that song. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Because he shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Skip down to verse number 13. Same chapter. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all, notice, all, and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. And here's what I want you to understand. The burnt sacrifice, when someone brought a bull, when someone brought a cow, when someone brought a goat, when someone brought a pigeon, whatever it is that they were bringing, they realized We're not getting this back. No one's getting any use out of this. The priests aren't eating from it. We're not eating from it. We don't get to share it. When I give God that 2,500 pound bull, we're going to sit here and burn that thing to ashes. And it's all going to God. It's unique to the burnt sacrifice. And look, it takes hours to cremate a thing that big. You know, and there's a lot of work here. But here's what I'm just saying. You say, well, what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn. And, And here's what I'm just saying. One of the unique characteristics of the burnt offering is that it was completely consumed for God. The whole thing was given to God. The entire thing was given to God. Are you there in 1 Kings? In 1 Kings, we find probably the most famous of the burnt offerings in the Bible. Let's look at it together. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. 1 Kings 18, verse 30. It's the most famous burnt offering in the Bible. 1 Kings 18.30. I'll start reading it. You already know where... The story. First Kings 18.30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Remember, he had the challenge with the 400 prophets of Baal. They've already had their chance. We're not going to read that. They're cutting themselves, and they're praying, and they're having a worship service, and they're dancing. They're speaking in tongues. They're doing all the weird things they're doing. But, but the Lord never called. They never got an answer. Now it's Elijah's turn. He repairs the altar, look at verse 31. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar. I like Elijah because he stacks the, the odds in, you know, against himself. He's supposed to, because the challenge is, we make a sacrifice, and whosoever God answers by fire, that is the God. And Elijah says, okay, he builds the altar. But then just to make a point and to make it even harder, then the Bible says that he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, verse 33, and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, now notice what he says, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. The challenge is, whichever sacrifice catches on fire, that's the God. So he builds the altar, he puts the sacrifice, and then he says, 
just drench it with water. You know, just, just drench it. And, and, you know, you say, well, Elijah, why are you doing that? I think Elijah realized if, if God, God can do it, if it's wet or not. You know, if God's going to do it, God's going to do it. So notice what he does. Verse 34. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And, and, and the water ran around the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. You understand what a trench is? He, he, he builds a, around the altar. He digs a little uh, a hole that goes around the altar, and he fills that with water. So you got water all around the altar. You've got water poured on the altar. The whole thing is drenched with water. Look at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Notice verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Watch this. Shoo! Fire fell. Notice. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, he, the whole thing was consumed. This is probably the most famous burnt sacrifice in the Bible. Where God, there's nothing left. I mean, he didn't just consume the sacrifice. He consumed the altar. He consumed the water. He consumed the stone. Everything was just consumed and given to God. Did you keep your place in Hebrews? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29. And by the way, while you turn there, let me say this. Another famous sacrifice, another famous burnt offering we saw last week in the last chapter of 2 Samuel when David offered a sacrifice and the, and the threshing floor of Ornan. Remember that story? And that was a burnt sacrifice. And, and we didn't see it in 2 Samuel, but in 1 Chronicles, we're told that God answered with fire in the same way that Elijah was answered. Another famous burnt sacrifice was Solomon. When Solomon uh, dedicated the temple after building the temple, the Bible tells us that he offered a burnt sacrifice to the Lord, but Solomon, you know, one burnt sacrifice wasn't enough, so he, he offered a thousand burnt sacrifices. Imagine that. You know, just a thousand uh, of, these, of these sacrifices given to God. Are you there in Hebrews 12? Look at verse 29. Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Did you know that? God doesn't want part of you. God doesn't want half of you. God wants all of you. God wants you to offer yourself as a sacrifice unto Him, and He wants to consume you. He wants to completely take you over. For our God is a consuming. See, what we can learn from this burnt sacrifice is that it's an entire sacrifice. It's a complete sacrifice. It's a whole sacrifice. God doesn't just want you on Sunday mornings. God wants you all week long. God, you know, people say, well, I go to church on Sunday morning. Hey, look, you know what? God wants you on Monday, and God wants you on Tuesday, and God wants you on Wednesday, and God wants you on Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. He wants all of you. He's a consuming fire. He wants you to offer yourself as a sacrifice unto Him. And He wants to, like Elijah, just consume the whole thing for Himself. The whole thing. Go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. That's why, while you turn there, let me read for, uh, from this verse. In Colossians 3, 4, the Bible says, When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Today, today we have Christians, and here's the problem that we have. Let me explain to you why Christianity is failing in America today. 
The reason that Christianity is failing in America is because most American Christians or Americanized Christians, because I'm, you know, I wasn't born in America, so I'll put myself in there. In the United States of America. The, the problem with American Christianity today is that most Christians today, they don't want God to consume their whole lives. They want to give God this part. But I've got my own life where I do what I want and it's all about me and I've got my whatever hobbies and I've got my things I'm into and I do this and I do that and I'll give you a Sunday morning or I'll give you a Wednesday night or I'll give you whatever, you know, God. And here's what we have. We have minimal type Christians that want to figure out, they just want to figure out what's the least that's required of me. What is the least that I can do? See, if we were honest, we wouldn't sing songs like, I surrender all. If we were honest, we would sing songs like, I surrender some, some to Jesus. As long as it's not too inconvenient for me, I surrender some. That's how most Christians live their lives. It's not all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. If it's not too inconvenient, if it doesn't cost me too much money, if it doesn't cost me any persecution, as long as it doesn't cost me too much, I'll give you what I want to give you, God. No, no, no. God says, I am a consuming fire. God says, I want all of you. I want everything. I want Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I want all of it. He says, he said, the Bible says that Christ is our life. And that's why we're failing in America. That's why we're failing in Christianity, because people today, they want to play these games where it's like, oh, well, you know, that's just my Christian life. No, no, no. It's all or nothing. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He gets all of it. That's what he wants. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 33. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 33. Mark 12, 33. Notice what the Bible says. And to love him, and to love him, this is a burnt offering. And to love him with, notice this word, all. All the heart. And with all the understanding. And with all the soul. And with all the strength. And to love his neighbor as himself. And notice the connection. Because this is a famous statement, you find it throughout scripture. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. You find it said different ways throughout the Bible. But notice in Mark 12 through 3, it connects it with a sacrifice. Notice, notice the last part of verse 33. Is more than all what? Whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? Here's what he says. Instead of you giving me a bowl that you just consume completely for me, why don't you just give me your life? I'd, I'd rather have that. Instead of you just making a sacrifice of a physical animal and you burn the whole thing and it represents that you're giving yourself entirely to God, why don't you just actually give yourself entirely to God? Why don't you just give God everything? Notice what he says. All your heart, all the understanding, all the soul, all the strength. God wants you to see It's a beautiful picture of the burnt sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you know what? God wants you to make yourself a burnt sacrifice to him too. To offer yourself completely, entirely, Holy. See, if you offer yourself completely to God, you'd quit complaining as much as you do. We like to complain, oh, I just don't understand why, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. If, if you just realize that it's not my life. If God wants to bring persecution, if God wants to bring lawsuits, if God wants me to serve on Sunday, and serve on Saturday, and serve on Wednesday, and serve on Monday, and serve, it's his life. I'm just a burnt sacrifice to him. I just gave it all to him. See, what we learn from this, uh, from this burnt sacrifice is this, that the whole thing belongs to God. And today we got these minimalist Christians 
who they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, what's required? What's the least that I can do? Ladies will ask this question. Well, the Bible says that, you know, showing your thigh, exposing your thigh is a sin. So how, 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 uh, you know, how short can it go before it becomes a sin? Why are you asking that question? Well, how short can I make the skirt, Pastor, before you don't let me sing in the choir? Your heart's wrong. All you're doing is revealing your heart. All you're doing is revealing, well, what is the least minimum required? Why don't you just give it all to God? Why don't you just give the whole lake to God? I'm not saying you got to wear, you know, a skirt down to your, to your ankle. I'm, not saying, I'm just saying, if you got to, well, if it's right here, is that okay? Shut up. Don't talk to me and don't ask my wife those stupid questions. If I wear it to right here, you, get off my choir. I don't need you in the choir. If you got to ask stupid questions like that, it just tells us that your heart is not in the right place. Why don't you just give yourself completely to God? Why don't you just become a whole sacrifice? Why don't you just give your whole wardrobe to God, not just Sunday morning? Why don't you just dress the way God would like you to dress on Monday and on Tuesday and on Thursday and on Friday? See, what we learn from the burnt sacrifice, what we learn from the burnt sacrifice is that God wants the entire thing. He wants all of it. Completely given to God. But there's another thing we can learn. Go back to Leviticus chapter 1. See, some of you didn't know Leviticus was this interesting. I like it. Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 3. There's another thing that we can learn for personal sacrifice. Not only does God want your all. Let me tell you this. Not only does God want your all. You know this, that God wants your best. You know that God wants your best. Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 3. Now it's beautiful. Beautiful picture that we have here. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. If his offering be, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd. Okay, what is that? A bullock, that's a bull, that's a cow, that's a 2,500 pound animal. That's option one. But you know that's not, that's not the only option. Because not everybody could afford a bull. So he gives a second option. Look at verse 10. And if his offering, here's option two, be of the flocks. Namely of the sheep and of the goats. He says, look, I want you to bring a bull. But if you can't bring a bull, then you can bring a sheep or you can bring a goat. Now look, a sheep or a goat is a, is a fairly big animal, but it's not anything compared to a bull. Right? Look at option three, verse 14. And if the verse sacrifice for his offering of the Lord, here's option three, be of the fowls. You said, well, I can't afford, I can't afford uh, a goat. I can't afford uh, a, a flock. He says, then if it be of the fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves and of young pigeons. And here's what I want you to understand. And here's how beautiful God is, and that God is no respecter of persons. If all you can bring to God is a turtle dove, if all you can bring to God is a pigeon, and get this picture in your head. Two guys go down to the tabernacle to give a burnt sacrifice. One brings a bull, and one brings a pigeon. The Levites are probably like, I'll take the pigeon. You, you worry about that bull, right? I mean, the bull's going to be a lot of work. You got to flay that thing. You got to cut that thing. You got to watch that thing burn for hours. The pigeon, they snap the head. They pluck the feathers. They catch it on fire. <laughs> Guy goes out for his break, comes back, done. You know, if you look at the two, you'd be like, this is an amazingly huge sacrifice in comparison to this. But you know what? God will accept the pigeon. That's all you have. And he'll accept it as gladly as he would accept that bull. Another picture of the burnt sacrifice is the widow's mite. Remember the widow's mite? She gave the two mites, and Jesus said that she gave more than everyone else because it wasn't about what she gave. It's the fact that she gave all, and she gave her best. 
gave the best she had. And if all you've got is a pigeon, give it. If all you've got is a turtle dove, give it. If all you have is a goat, give it. God isn't impressed. Don't look at somebody else. Well, they've got a bull and they've got a cow and I've just got... No, no, no. He gives you three options because he says, I want everyone to give. And, and you give at your level. And if that's all you can give, then give it and I'll accept it. But, but, let me say this. Don't give a pigeon when you've got a goat at home. You understand what I just said? Don't give a lamb when you've got a bull at home. See, God not only wants your all, He wants your best. God wants you to give Him your best. God doesn't, He doesn't want, well, what am I willing to do? I'm willing to give Him this pigeon. No, no, no. You've got a bull there. You bring that to God. He wants you to bring Him the best option. He wants you to bring Him the best that you've got. He wants you to give Him whatever you've got. It's funny to me because we had a, we, we had a guest speaker coming here one time and his wife was coming with him. And when his wife came, she was joking with my wife. She was just joking. It was, it, they didn't think anything ill of it. But she was joking with my wife because his, her husband had said to her, because this lady, usually for church, she just wears sandals. There's nothing wrong with sandals. If you're wearing sandals, you know, Jesus wore sandals, I guess, so, you know, it's fine. But, you know, she usually wears sandals to church. And her husband said to her, like, hey, you can't wear sandals severity. You know, all the women there wear shoes. You know, like, they, they dress nice of Verity. So he went out and bought her these real nice shoes. And she was kind of joking, like, oh, I should come here more often. I get nice clothes, you know. And, uh, but, but it was funny because here's what her husband was saying to her, like, everyone dresses real nice there. And, you know, we're not high fluent and we're not all, you know. But here, here's the thing. I like it. I like it that we're known as a church where people just bring their best. People just don't walk in looking sloppy and come. Now, look, if, if your best is a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, and praise the Lord for it. You know, but bring your best. Don't, don't, don't bring a goat when you got a bull at home. Don't bring a pigeon when you've got, you know, a goat at home. God says, I want your best. I want you to bring me the best. And, I've, you know, here's what I've learned in, in my life. The, the number one, the number one, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The number one, uh, not complaint. What's the opposite of a complaint? Uh, compliment. <laughs> there you go. The number one compliment that we get at our church when people come, because people come here, I don't know if you realize this, people come here from all over the country, even uh, all, sometimes from different parts of the world, you know, to visit us as they're driving by or whatever. And the number one compliment we get around here, people will often say like, man, it's just, it's great how like everything's so well organized. You know, everything just looks nice. It's like, it's like the Queen of Sheba. When she saw the way that Solomon's servants, you know, how Solomon, how they were dressed and how they attended and how they served. The Bible says that there was no, there was no, no spirit left in her. And people come here and they're like, man, everything's so organized and everything's so great. And the ushers, you know, and this and that or whatever. And, and people say like, why do you do all that? And look, we do, you know why we do it? Because we want to give God our best. We want to give him the best. You know, somebody was, and they were just joking, but they're like, when we were moving in here, we are getting all the chairs, put them all nicely together. And they're like, man, why does Pastor care so much that the chairs look nice? You know, at our last year, we just kind of just put them all down, and it was fine. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Around here, we just wanted to be the best. And if it's just putting chairs down, we just want to do the best we can with it. And if it's greeting someone at the door, we just want to do the best we can with it. The Bible, doesn't the Bible say, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might? So don't bring a goat when you, when, when you got a bull. And don't bring a pigeon when you've got a goat. But if all you got is a pigeon, God will accept that. God will take that. God is no respecter of persons. God will take your best, but look, make sure you give him your best. He wants your best. 
He wants you to do your best for Him. He wants you to do your best for Him, for, for God. Let me give you one more thing. We've got to finish up. Go back to Leviticus chapter 1, look at verse 2. So we saw that He wants it all, and we saw that He wants the best. But number three, God also wants a voluntary sacrifice. God also wants a voluntary sacrifice. Look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If, you see that word if? If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. Notice verse 3. If, you see that word if? None of this is mandatory. He just says, if you want to do it. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it his own, notice, voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. You know, everything you do, you need to do it for God and you need to do it as a sacrifice unto God. And, and look, if it's not voluntary, God won't accept it. Their children come to, these, to churches like ours, hopefully not anybody here, but children come to churches like ours, and they will say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and they will do everything that they need to do, and they will do everything that's right. But you know what? They never did it from their heart, and as soon as they're old enough to do whatever they want, they'll just go do whatever they want. And all those things that they did as children, as teenagers, God doesn't accept it because there are spouses there are wives that will come here and they'll just play the part because their husband is into this and as soon as he gets backslidden, they're out. There are husbands that they just come and play the part because, well, my wife, you know, she started listening to this preaching online and well, whatever and she's kind of into it. Look, if you're not doing it of your own free will, if you're not doing it of a voluntary heart, if you're not doing it because you want to give it to God, God says, I don't want it. He says, if. He says, of his own voluntary will. See, God wants your all, God wants your best, and God wants it from a, from a heart. From a heart that wants to give it to God. Something we try to do with our children. Because our children, you know, we'll tell them, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to not do this, not do that. And that's part of parenting, we train them. But often, they'll ask the question, and your children probably ask the same question. They'll say, well, what's wrong with it? Well, what, why not? You know, what's wrong with it? We try to teach our children. We learned this from our, my old pastor, Pastor Nichols. He said his parents used to say this to him. But he said, you know, we try to teach them, don't ask the question, what's wrong with it? Ask the question, what's right with it? You know, we always want to choose between what's, the, what's right and wrong. But why do we always have to choose between right and wrong? Why can't we choose between right and best? You know, I preach against, like, video games, and people get mad at me. Is it a sin to play video games? Well, look, I, I, don't, I can't find you a verse that says it's a sin to play video games. My kids play Pac-Man. You know, but if they play for three hours a day, what's wrong with Pac-Man? I'm just saying, is it the best thing they could be doing with their time? What's, it, what's wrong with it? What's, what's right with it? And if you're 32 and you've got a wife and kids, you'd probably be doing something better with your time than playing Pac-Man. I'm just saying, the question's not always what's right and wrong. How about what's right and what's best? How about what would God have me to do? How about what would God do? See, God wants you to give him your all. And God wants you to give him your best. And God wants you to do it of a free, voluntary will. And notice, isn't that what God did? When he gave us his only begotten son, he gave us his all. And when he gave us the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave us his best. And when he so loved the world that he gave, he did it of a voluntary will. And Jesus said, I lay down my life. No, he said, no man's forcing me to do it. He said, I do it of my own free will. That's the burnt sacrifice. And that's what God wants you to do and God wants me to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these 
The book of Leviticus. Lord, many people will mock Leviticus today and say it's hard to understand and it's boring. But even just in chapter 1, we can learn so much about our own personal lives and what God expects. And Father, I pray you touch the hearts of our church people. Lord, I pray you touch our hearts. I, I wonder what would happen in this community if a community of believers decided to give God their all, to give God their best, and not to be coerced into it, but to do it of their own free will. We would be like Christ. We make an impact like Christ made an impact. Father, I pray you'd help me. I pray you'd help me to wake up every day and just offer myself completely to God. Say, Lord, you can have it all. It's not much, but it's yours. It's just a pigeon, but it's yours. Father, help us to give ourselves to you every day. Help us to learn from this burnt sacrifice. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.